0: blog talk radio
1: should be truth. So now,
0: we give you Africa, the center of the world.
1: So vast, so great, these The color of life, universal harmony, the earth supports our conscious effort for sustained humanity, human beings, human love, on a spiritual tip. so vast, so great, the African embrace, live beyond, love beyond, your skin to where you belong.
2: we are V and bebop and hip hop and we don't stop. So our mother gave birth to everyone on earth. So we echo her call. And always walk tall. Cause we're hips of the world, so we create black pearls that everyone can wear, that everyone can share. We can't live in despair. So we shine everywhere. On and on. On and on. On and
3: on. We welcome you to Africa on the Move. As your host, Brother Africa, it's always an honor and a privilege to come in your home this evening where we can speak truth, to the powerless and the powerful. Our theme tonight is U.S. and Crimes Against Humanity. That's right, we'll discuss U.S. and Crime Against Humanity tonight. And like always, you are welcome to come and join us by dialing 323 We're going to do our best, get you the best, because you are the best. And to do that, we will now introduce to you our political panelists and analysts for today's program by welcoming Brother Hackey to Africa on the Moon on the 10th day of July, 2022. Welcome, Brother Hackey. Brother,
4: Af- <clears throat> Brother Africa, thanks for having me. <coughs> my name is Haikeika Matamashoki, Colonel of African Awareness, and of course, Brother Africa, you know my thing is all about institution building. And certainly one of the things that I think is important when we talk about institution building is a, um, a, a, a deep regard you know, um, for humanity and why education is so important in terms of the uplifting of humanity. Uh, one of the things in American society there's been much discussion around the question in terms of gun balance. But you know, un- unfortunately, you know, a lot of this discussion uh, obscures a much much broader reality. Uh behind the scene there are certain political strategies taking place uh with respect to gun violence and which is we should not discussed. Uh but anyway, when we talk about the particular strategies in terms of relationship to gun violence, we cannot exclude uh, the, the 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 prevalence of promotion of, you know, status quo in terms of its design, in terms of maintaining power and control, and certainly the the excuse me, the availability of weapons certainly makes that much more much more easier. But more importantly, in terms of strategic long-term strategic uh, concerns, uh, one of the things when we talk about gun balance, we cannot exclude the fact that when we talk about gun balance, uh, you know, we understand in the context of fascism then we talk about a need for, for soldiers. Uh, One of the real ironies in the context of America, not only do you need foot soldiers in terms of carrying out fascism, but you want to have adequate amount of, sufficient amount of arms among those people who are fascist minded uh, to carry out fascism. So clearly this attempt in terms of, you know, in terms of actually uh, um, enlarging uh, this problem in terms of gun violence serves a, a strategic need. So, whereas logically you would think that when you talk about gun violence, you want to create a scenario in which you lessen guns in in the, in society. But on the contrary, in the American society, it actually escalates the amount of guns in society, and that's the whole strategy uh, behind you know behind gun violence. And here's something that perhaps will make people make it a lot more clear to people in terms of you know some of the underlying factors when we talk about gun violence, which people maybe not be privy to or even think about. But in any event. Arizona State State, Senate candidate, Blake Masters stated on a podcast, quote, America's high rate of mass shootings is caused not by lax gun laws and easy accessibility of high-powered rifles, but its black population, end quote. Putting aside the statistical data between 1982 and 2022, indicating 68 out of 129 mass shootings were carried out by whites, while 21 mass shootings by Africans and 11 mass shootings by Laddins respectively, underscores a more insidious motive for this Republican candidate. Content to rely on the statistical percentages that inflates on statistical data based upon sample size, he seeks to lay the blame for gun violence on African people while serving as an apologist for the arms industry and lobbyists who secure huge profits at the expense of the population. <clears throat> the strategy this Republican state senator uh, candidate employs is not new. Historically, the dog whistles employed by conservatives have been successful in maligning or demonizing African people. In the book, Dying of Whiteness, by Jonathan Metzl, use of obfuscation to consider real villains, in this case capitalists, have been useful in swaying white people's views in order to defeat meaningful change the power structure opposes. Metzl lays out three platitudes historically proven to elicit the support of white America, even when that change is beneficial to white people. The three platitudes are, one, prevention of government intrusion into your life. In other words, government can never do anything that's good for the people. Secondly, loss of freedom and liberties from government overreach. In other words, if the government attempts to do something, it's always going to turn out badly. And thirdly, government policy is favorable to Africans and increases probability. Blacks can cut the line and take the resources that rightly belong to white people. Now Madison's proclamation Blacks are the problem associated with gun violence resonate with all three platitudes. Now politically speaking, social economic conditions in poor neighborhoods increases the environmental stresses that lead to self- to maladaptive behaviors with legitimized violence. The fact the same stress manifests negatively in poor white communities is overlooked in part because of perceptions that hold stress on Blacks results in more, more suffering. Now of course maintaining freedoms and liberties is is, is predicated on the premise pain inflicted on actions is obligatory, and as such, one of the dog whistles that justify the continuation of the status quo. It goes without saying, maintaining the status quo is impossible without political balance. As the economy declines and access to available resources shrinks, competition for the remaining resources ultimately cannot be resolved without political balance. This, of course, barring the end of capitalism. In this context, access to weapons is vital, and any law that eliminates access to weapons constitutes an existential threat to white domination and must be resisted. Now, ironically, the fundamental nature of Master's strategy will bear fruit to whether he wins or loses. In order to understand the relevance of the statement, we must appreciate the niche associated with black, radical political thought that seeks a more inclusive society. Dr. Martin Luther King once stated, quote, Negro pressure for political change is often misconstrued as a demand for privilege rather than a desperate quest for existence, end quote. Anthony Conright put it another way, quote, once blackness enters the political realm, empathy falters. A large number of white people are victims of police brutality, a rigged economy, and exorbitant health costs. But when the collective is in the name of black people, redress becomes incoherent. In the same way the movement of black people into neighborhoods into neighborhood depreciates the value of home, the movement of black demands into political spaces depreciates the legibility or the urgency of the corrective, end quote. This is why, irrespective of the state senator race conclusion, Master, Master wins because the perception he seeks will manifest whether in and out of government. The ability to influence future events established by his far-right credentials will not only ensure opportunity for media exposure, but the continuance of a philosophical underpinning that seeks to undermine the right to bear arms by African people or, at the very least, treat Africans as violent, while promoting the necessity of weapon possession for white America. By state senator of evoking the most insidious racism, he re- reinforces values, beliefs, and platitudes which elevates perceived correctness in the minds of individuals predisposed to accept the most outlandish of racial disinformation it is this internalization of lies and deceit that complicates the much-needed political change to avert needless slaughter and carnage the right wing of so brief performance by the purposeful dissemination of propaganda specifically employed to aggravate ethnic hatreds that serves the interests of the wealthy and masses resisted the temptation to elevate the worst impulses for political gain he could have pointed out gun violence between male and female domestic living arrangements continues to escalate in American society. As the environmental stresses that historically impacted the African community seeps into white communities as a result of unjust capitalism, the same ills visited upon large sections of African communities increasingly wearing its ugly head in white neighborhoods bring with it the dysfunction of concentrated inequality. Attempts at using statistics to justify masses racism could never obscure the broader impact of guns used on and against white women by white men in American society. While the problem of gun violence, of intimate partner violence, disproportionately impacts the African community and people of color, it could never conceal the sheer numbers and emerging problem of gun violence and its impact on white America. If masses truly wants to win, for speaking, he could have taken the high road by acknowledging the demonization of African people and gun violence could never address the challenges of gun violence in the U.S. and the need for weapons in the first place. And then, Brother Africa, I'll close with that.
3: Thank you, Brother Aki. Next, we would like to welcome Brother Anthony to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Brother Anthony.
5: Thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings to you, the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All African People's Revolutionary Party GC. Objective is Pan Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism.
3: Hi right, find Brother Anthony. We now bring in Brother Moses and we would like to welcome him to Africa on the move, Brother
6: Moses. Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice, especially the illustrious panelists. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, And that mouth, say, tongue, is his messenger for government. Fathers help your children. And we don't we don't reverse, correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. I believe women hold up half the sky. That's why I'm for the Equal Rights Amendment. E.R.A. Yes, and uh, the struggle continues as we try to unite the many to defeat the few, to uh, isolate those people who. Who are exploiting us And to come to understand How the exploitation is taking place And what we can do to resolve it In other words, we need a revolution Thank you
3: Thank you, Brother Moses From Brother Moses to Sister Eleanor We welcome her to Africa on the Moon
7: Thank you, Brother Africa Um, Good evening to all our listeners In the U.S. and Worldwide And to the federal panelists Thank you so much For allowing me To participate In this evening's Forum And I uh, Have four words That I would share With our Listening audience And that is Love, respect Patience And faith When we love We respect Mother Earth Everything And everyone on it When we have Patience We see change And joy In each day And when we have Faith we we continue to fight for our liberation, and believe and know that we can bring about positive change, so that the masses will take over and um, have an opportunity to control our energy production as well as the production, our labor production and resources. Right now, it's a struggle on Mother Earth to control how you produce your energy and to produce clean energy and reduce our carbon footprint. So thank you so much, Brother Africa, and uh, thank you, fellow panelists, and uh, good evening to you all.
3: Good evening to you, Sister Eleanor, and to the rest of our panelists. What we're going to do right now, we're going to pause for the calls, take a rubbish in break, and culture break, and we'll come back. We're going to invite you to come and join us as we discuss what's going on in that world and the community. This is Africa on the Move.
8: No mind your nationality, you have got the identity of an African. But if you come from Clarendon, and if you come from Portland, and if you come from Westmoreland, you're an African. So don't care where you come from. As long as you're a black man, you're an African. No mind your nationality, you have got the identity of an African. But if you come from Trinidad and if you come from
9: I can't see my mama, 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 yeah. Oh,
3: of the community. We encourage you and welcome you. If you have something in reference to what's going on in your world and the community, we encourage you to call in at 323 Hit one, and we will acknowledge your last four numbers. Um, Brother Africa, and with our political analysts today, we're going to sit in the seat, and we're going to take the heat. We're gonna sign it and we're gonna stand behind it. And so we want you to do So let's get started with our so let's get started with our program. What's going on in your world and the community? Right now we'll bring Brother Haki back and ask him. Brother High what's going on in your world and the community?
4: Well, Brother Africa? Uh, can you hear me?
3: Yes we can.
4: All right, now, <clears throat> the, um, you know, last week, you know, we had a, um, a, a bit of discussion around the question in terms of, you know, uh, are, in fact, African people defined as, as Americans, at least Africans born in America are defined as, as American citizens. It's very interesting because one of the things, you know, my perception is that, you know, that a lot of, that perhaps the police are receiving the message that African people are not, in fact, American citizens. Which might account for the disparate treatment in terms of you know uh, this whole this whole propensity to shoot African people numerous times while being able to disarm you know arm the white people without necessity of shooting. So clearly, you know, I think one of the things when we talk about in terms of this this, 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 this propensity to to characterize African people as somehow less than American, uh, you know, we talked about the fact that during Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans. Um, they describe African people as refugees, those who were impacted by the hurricanes. Uh, we also talked about the Voters Rights Act being renewed every 20 years in terms of you know, your status, you know, your questionable status you know, as a U.S. citizen, and, uh, which, of course, has to be reviewed every 20 years. But what we neglected to talk about Brother Africa, to at least mentioned, was the Senate Majority Minority Leader, uh, Mr. McConnell, made a statement uh, about uh, four months back. And he said that, "Quote: African American vote voters cast ballots at similar rates to Americans." End quote. Uh, I think the implications, are very, very clear. I don't think that's anything ambiguous. I think he's very, very clear. He's making a clear distinction between those people who are quote unquote American and those who are not, in particular African people. So we talk about the propensity in terms of killing, you know, you know, uh, uh, you know, shooting people multiple times i My understanding, just from a legal point of view, that the shooting has to be proportional to the threat that it represents. So clearly, when, when you have a situation like someone like Jalen Walker in Ohio is shot six, six of times, there's something that's fundamentally wrong in terms of the perception of police in terms of who they're policing. Also, historically, when we look at in terms of you know ex, you know excessive shooting of individuals. We go back to 80, back back in '85, the Eleanor Bumpers. She was a 67-year-old Bronx grandmother. She uh, had rheumatoid arthritis, so she had difficulty in terms of mobility. She, they shot at her 28 times. Two shots from a shotgun killed her—one to the chest and one to the hand. Now, according to the to the the uh, ME, a uh, medical examiner, uh, that shotgun blast her hand not only tore her hand apart but also uh, removed the uh, uh, eliminated in the knife, knife, uh, quote unquote, the knife would have conceivably had. Now, here's her problem. the problem. Initial reports, she didn't have a knife. She had a, a, a jar of lye uh, as a justification for shooting her. So even that narrative changes through, with time. So clearly, you know, uh, the life of this 67-year-old grandmother, uh, and by the way, it was very simply because she was being evicted out of her project apartment, uh, you know, that even in those circumstances, that kind of harsh treatment, that the the, 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 the subsequent of unleashing of, of, of 28 bullets at her, uh, speaks to a kind of insanity or, or a kind of insensitivity, which makes one wonder exactly, you know, who it, who, who did the police perceived uh, 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 as the adversary. Also, Timothy Russell and his girlfriend, Melissa Williams, in Cleveland, Ohio, were shot 16 times each in their car. And the whole thing, again, there was no weapon involved, anything like that. They were sitting in the car talking to the police officers. So so according to the cops, of course, as what they usually say is that well, I thought that was they had weapons. That's all they have to say is that I thought they had a weapon to justify the unleashing of these weaponry. So it seems to me, Brother the when you think about terms of what it takes to kill an individual, when you engage in this kind of overkill, what does that say? Uh, you know, it's though they're trying to actually eliminate the essence of a human being, not just their their their, their, their human consciousness, not just a not just to eliminate them their human physicality but to eliminate their essence. And so for me, it's very, very problematic. Now, Laquan McDonald out of Chicago, young 17-year-old kid, who was 17-year-old brother, who was shot 15 times walking down the street, no threat to anybody. Uh, so clearly that's ironic. So when you look at these, these cases and then you compare them to Robert Cremo, the guy doing the, uh, the uh, July 4th parade in Highland Park, Harlem Park uh, Chicago, when you look at the treatment uh, that he received, which is quite different from what historically African people received at the hands of cops, this guy actually was responsible for, for killing five people and taking out numerous others in terms of injuries. So the proclivity or, or, or the potential in terms of violence was very, very real with him. But yet his interactions with the cops didn't result in him being killed. And the question is why? I mean, clearly, I think one of the things that is, I think that the reason why he wasn't killed was he, he was white. But I think just as importantly, the people that he was able to have killed presided in a Jewish enclave. Harlem Park is a Jewish enclave. Is it possible, Brother Africa, uh, re- realize because it's a Jewish enclave, they speculated that the people who killed were Jewish, and so therefore uh, Robert Cremo in their minds was not in it was not really a, not really a criminal. In fact, what he did was actually a good thing. In that context, they were unwilling to kill him or to shoot him. Uh, even though the threat was real, that uh, potentially he could have weapons to, to, to fire at them. Also, uh, clearly, Brother Africa, in the context of all of this, one of the things I'm very clear on, so when we talk about training for cops in terms of preventing these eventualities, it seems to me the reality is that uh, unless we fundamentally change the way in which uh, the this, this system, the the, the, the uh, uh narrative of the system as it relates to African people, it seems to me that cops uh, have a, a, a cops cop, cop certainly uh, may have a, a justification in terms of how they negatively perceive African people, based upon all the kind of information that they perceive on a day-to-day basis from very very powerful people. So I don't think tra- training for police is going to going to do it in terms of preventing these kinds of these kind of I think it's, I think anything short of a systematic overhaul. I think that we are fooling ourselves to actually think that these kind of excessive killings will will stop and are not close with that.
3: Thank you, Brother Hakeem. From Brother Hakeem, we're going to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, what's going on in your world and the community?
5: Okay, Brother Africa. Um, uh, let's see, uh, Jose Eduardo dos Santos uh died uh, a couple of days ago he was the first uh prime minister of independent angola and former head of the uh Blur movement for the liberation of angola and uh he made his transition uh let's see um uh, uh, a day or so ago, after a long illness, I wasn't able to find out the details of what the illness was. But he made his transition, uh, and also I read an article that uh, that a group of uh, that a, a Palestinian uh, organization had driven. Elbid, out of uh, London, Elbid is an arm, a Zionist-controlled arms manufacturer, and they, uh, they primarily make weapons uh, to expel uh, Palestinians from their homeland and uh, drive them out of their uh, towns and villages in Palestine and uh a lot of the weapons are manufactured in England and uh there was a demonstration recently which uh drove them out of uh out of uh, uh London so uh you know so the struggle against uh, Zionism is intensifying uh, internationally, and uh, not just within Palestine.
3: Thank you, Brother Anthony. From Brother Anthony, you're going to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world in the community?
6: Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa. Um, it's been an interesting week. Um, I think the January 6th committee is, has been uh, – Introduce, uh, um, and um, interviewing um, various people, uh, building the case against Trump and his allies. Uh, I think that's been pretty progressive. Uh, They're going to meet again tomorrow. I understand. uh, I think again uh, later this week, maybe Thursday. I'm not sure, uh, but I think it's twice this week. And uh, so that's been the main political. um, things that i've been concerned about uh that we we have to stop the right wing and uh this organization and and um, this this united front uh against fascism must continue in the courtrooms uh, we need to take the justice department to take up this question uh and meanwhile let me say that you know we live in a racist um system, a racist government, the U.S. of A. And uh, that's no question. Uh, we were born here as slaves. We, we were not treated as human beings and we've never been fully recognized as human beings by this government of the U.S.A. And we will never be recognized as poorly human beings by this government of the U.S.A. until until this government of the U.S.A. Is no longer exists. And so that that's goes without saying. uh uh, we can always point to indiscrepancies and biases and prejudice and racism because it's gonna to continue to exist until there's a revolution and that's that's just reality uh, um, meanwhile uh there was a demonstration at, at yesterday uh for the uh uh pro choice people uh that was good uh we have to continue to struggle for our rights uh, every day, and it's a uh, continued struggle to organize, organize, organize for for revolution. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Brother Moses. If I'm Brother Moses, we're going to Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, what's going on in your world?
7: Well, as Brother Moses said yesterday, there was a demonstration and uh, it ended, started at Franklin Square and ended down at Lafayette uh, Square. And people are, progressive people are urging President Joe Biden to do an executive order that would uh, make uh, women's rights, reproductive rights and control over their bodies and their families. Uh, a law in this land because we've joined one of only four countries that make uh, including uh, El Salvador and Honduras and one other country that prohibits abortion. This is archaic and backwards. Thank goodness the Supreme Court has gone on vacation because as soon as they come back they're going to be attacking affirmative action Um, voters' rights and attempting to give corporations more power. So the uh, real thing um, is also looking back at the Truman Doctrine, which established NATO in 1947 and how its intent was to restrict uh, uh, Russia from, the former Soviet Union, from expanding and how we have been backing authoritarian governments in greece and in turkey and other places and then one came to roost here so as brother moses said the big thing and it's on my mind is combat combating fascism and this totalitarianism that so many support and right now the real concern brother africa is how the uh, in this new age of, of media and, and computers and technology, how people are being manipulated. These shooters are being manipulated to attack the uh, the working class, as Brother Haiki said in Highland Park assuming it was Jewish people, attacking Jewish people, continuing to attack African and and indigenous people in this country. And racism is the greatest problem we're facing right now. And why is it that after such a hard-fought struggle just to have the right to vote, is it a continuous problem and Congress can't address the issue so that the voters' rights act does not have to be revisited after one hundred years of u.s. apartheid after the end of the civil war we're still struggling in twenty twenty two uh... the struggle goes on and organization is clearly the answer when you look back at the republican party and it's founding, it started out as an abolitionist party So obviously new political parties can be formed. You see the Libertarian Party, we don't need to go there. But definitely there needs to be some type of uh, progressive political action to establish uh, something. In the district, they have the D.C. Greens, but that's not the answer. So organizing and uh, uh, educating is the key issue, education. And uh, starting with our youth, because we see that these young shooters are youth. Somewhat, the media is educating them, and they've already put the data out there, and they believe they're doing something good for the United States when they slaughter African people, Jewish people, national minorities, Asian people. You know, the country is 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 at a turn still, and hopefully. This January 6th committee will stand up and take action and go where we haven't gone before. We've seen during the Obama administration no action being taken for torture and abuses. Um, we've seen during the uh, administration after administration nothing being ad- addressed. Hopefully now it will be. Thank you, Brother Africa.
3: Thank you, of Eleanor. This is Africa On The Move. This is Brother Africa. We will continue the discussion as we talk, as we talk about what's going on in your world in the community. When we come back from Africa On The Move Revolutionary Culture Break.
10: tonight, That's right, some niggas gotta sacrifice Not a criminal. No, I'm a seminal. Yeah. I was free once, now I'm clinical. You so technical. This was Mexico. Everywhere I go is owned by Mexico. Fuck them, fuck them and the rest Hell of yeah. you I turn a phone to a batch pop. I'ma roll with the aliens. Man, fuck these homo sapiens. They don't really wanna make friends. All they want is a Mercedes-Benz All they want is they dividends And decibels, fuck these citizens They'll treat us like hooligans Throw him in, they don't care what school he in. These people don't play fair It ain't even fair at the state fair Give a young nigga gray hair, that's why I'm here Take your ass lay there You better stay there Close your fucking eyes like a daycare. Make myself
11: weird in Shakespeare. I'm here to take money, even, even fake hair. So desperate is what I'm left with. For the it, you affected. Who
10: you elected? It's so septic, so full of shit. I can't accept it. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the. I reside on the west side. I murder with my third eye. Nigga so fly, get a bird's eye. I make them scream bloody murder. Let's meet at the White House. Run in and turn the lights out. Man, they treat it like a trap house. These motherfuckers never take the trash out. They just cash out and mash out. Nigga, take your drugs and pass out up. Niggas love to go that fast route I see you when your black ass get out Homie, you play too much Why these devils, they doing way too much Most of them won't say too much White he steady planning? God knows, why, knows what That's why I roll with the real ones, real ones, trying to reach millions, real ones, trying to make billions, real ones, rest like civilians. Arrest the president, arrest the president, arrest the president, you got the evidence. Arrest the president, arrest the
3: president, arrest the president, you got the evidence. Welcome back to Africa on the Moon. I'm your host, Brother Africa and our political and panelists will continue their discussion on what's going on in that world and the community. We welcome you to join in as well. By dialing 323-679-0841. Um, Brother Haki and the rest of the panelists, uh, can we maybe get a little more articulation on this message that the media tends to send when you have mass shootings and these shootings are done by people of European descent whereas the brother in the corner would say, white people. They kill people in whole numbers. But when the police force captured them, They seem to come, they seem not to um, be injured, not to get shot up or not to be injured in any kind of way. They take them in as the way they came. You have Africans born in this country. They seem to not to get this special privilege. Even if they are running away from them with no arms, in sight, and for some reason, they never get to live to tell story. This is being shown over and over and over in the mass media. Again, what message are they sending us, and how long will it take before we will have an organized response to these type of behavior? from the so called legal law enforcement agencies. Your response to that scenario, that phenomenon, Brother Haki. Yeah.
4: Well we are Brother Africa. Well I think one thing is that let's you know we we let's let's be perfectly candid because one of the things we have to understand in the context of a system then we understand that the system is going to do what it, what, it, what it has to do in terms of perpetuating itself. System, system tends to do that. So there's a certain amount of inertia that exists with systems. And certainly one of the things you want to do, certainly in the context of the capitalist system, the one thing you want to do is you want to steal a greater sense of fear among the populace. By stealing fear among the populace, then they're less likely you know, to rebel. So the cops have a history in terms of you know, indiscriminately killing African people, then what it means is that African people will uh, become more and more afraid of the police, which means that uh, the likelihood of African people actually taking a stand diminishes. And that's precisely what they want. They want to create these conditions in which they intimidate African people so they won't stand up for the right to represent themselves anything or everything under, under auspices that if they stand up, they may be shot, you know, by police. So clearly, well, from a systematic point of view, then we understand that the system wants to instill a kind of fear. But the question in terms of when we talk about fairness under the law, well, one of the things is when you sing out African people, you know, for this kind of treatment, when you talk about systematically, you know, on under the, on the, on the any circumstances, justifying the killing of African people by shooting sixteen, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty, sixty 16, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 times, uh, then, what you're saying, then, 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 then what you're saying is that the same justice that's, that's uh, available to to, to, to so white people in the society are not available to you. So then what does that say in terms of one's citizenship in the society? Uh, also, one of the things that, you know, one of the things you have to understand is that cops are also human. If, in fact, if they know that they can engage in this one destruction of, of African life and there's no response for African community, then they understand, you know, that, uh, you know, they're going to continue to do it. If African people were organized, and the point is that, listen, we will no longer tolerate the wonton destruction and killing of African people. If they commit a crime, then you do what you got to do to bring them to justice. But wonton, you know, but killing people who are unarmed, killing people because they look a certain way or because they dress a certain way, uh, that no longer can be justified. And so, therefore, we can do what they did back in the 60s during the Black Panthers. We can start monitoring the police to ensure this kind of activity ceases. But until we get to that point and we realize the necessity in terms of monitoring the police, in terms of taking a stand, uh, the bottom line is this is not going to change. And one thing that I alluded to earlier, when we talk about a, a system in place, one of the things we have to understand when we talk about the systematic inequality that exists in society, that systematic inequality that adversely impacts or or, 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 it, or, or greatly impacts uh, the lives of African people. And so when we talk about the social economic reality of African people in terms of the all kind of political, social, economic barriers that it's created. To stagnate, you know, uh, African progress in a the society. Then you know, the people in positions of power understand those systems are in place, and they understand that you know, and it is a process, as, as a consequence by denying people the opportunities. Then they understand a certain amount of alienation and anger is going to persist, and so what they want to do is they want to control that, 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 that alienation, that sense of anger that's germinating in the African community. And the way in which they do that is to empower the police to wanton, I mean, to to wantonly kill African people, you know, based upon anything. And often this notion that, well, I thought they had a gun, or they made a certain move, or they looked like they were going to to shoot. All of those, and and, and the system understands this, all of those are mere rationalizations to justify uh, the killing of African people. Because the system, they're no fool. They understand clearly, you know, that someone will look a certain way and don't have a weapon on them, then there's no way conceivable that that person constitutes a threat to the officer's life. So they understand that. So by them defending the police, irrespective of, you know, how absurd the position is that the cops take, they are saying to the African community, this kind of oppression of the African community, using the police to oppress the African community will continue. And, uh, you know, and, and, and the whole thing is that it's fine that we rally, you know, that's, that's fine. And we have discussions around police brutality and we have to have that. But we need, we need all intimate organization, in terms concrete organization, in terms of combating these, 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 these ills. And one of the things when I talk about in terms of the field that's, that's probable in the African community, I understand this field is re- fear is real. And, you know, listen, nobody wants to die if they can prevent it, and I understand that. But sometimes the situation is such in which you don't have a other recourse but to stand up and say, listen, enough is enough, no more. Until we get to that point where we're going to say enough, enough, no more, then this kind of killing is going to persist. And there's nothing systematically you can do in terms of training for these cops that's going to eradicate this killing of African people disproportionately. And so this is the fundamental problem that we're faced with as a people in society. So we have to make some, some choices. And I do understand that, there's, that, that when we talk about fear, it's, it's, it's palpable in the minds of a lot of people. I mean, particularly when you got uh, large number of poor people living in in in, in close proximity, then you can understand that the fear is, is is palpable. You understand that people say, "Damn, you know, with all this all this all this drug dealing and all of this uh, robbing and all this stealing, all this all this whatever, all this stuff going on, uh, I don't feel safe." And so, in that context, people say, "Well, listen, I want cops here to protect me." But what people have to understand the cops are not there to protect you. See, that's the fallacy. So once we come to the realization the cops are there to protect you, then we begin to understand that the onus is on us to remedy these situations that exist in our community. I do understand, you know, you know, you know uh, bro- young brothers on the, on the corner selling, their, selling their, drug, their drug crops. I do understand that. I do, I do understand the pervasiveness the, 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 the of, of the poverty uh, that, that compels a lot of these young people to sell drugs out of desperation. doesn't make them bad people, and that's not what I'm saying at all. But young brothers have to understand that, you know, in selling your, your, your crops, and understand that you, you, you your service to the system. That same system that creates a hardship for you, it's the same system that uses you to create a hardship for the entire community. So I'm asking young brothers and young sisters, you know, to think about what you're doing. You know, I, I remember talking to a young brother in the, in the New York, and a young brother, I was talking about, you know, drug dealing, you know. I said, so my position was that, so listen, when, you, when, you, when these young brothers create these conditions in terms of uh, uh, selling that product, uh, create a, these, these very disastrous conditions in the community that adversely impact the minds of our children, do they realize what they're doing? He said, no, 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 some of them realize them, some of them don't realize it, and some of them don't care. He said, but for me, I take my products, and I go downtown where the wealthy folks live, and that's why I sell my products, because I'm conscious, I'm conscious of the fact that you know, for me to to, to sell a product up, up in this in this neighborhood, uh, will be uh, will be um, I will be complicitous in terms of setting up my people for you know for destruction. And he said I don't want to be a part of that. So I take my crops. I get up early in the morning. I go downtown and I sell my products. So I know the people who purchase the products they can afford it. They got good jobs making lots of money. So the amount the, the amount of violence that precipitates from the drug dealing is minimum. He said, well, if I did that in my hood, did I understand the kind of kind of, destruction kind of, kind of or uh, the kind of uh, disarray I form it if I participate in selling drugs in the community. So for me and brothers like me, we go and sell them in, in, in wealthy neighborhoods. And so it's good that this brother understands in terms of the implications in terms of the drug trade because unfortunately a lot of times young people don't understand the implications. They tend to think that, you know, that you know, they, they internalize this value system of society which says that nothing matters when making money. All that matters is money. How you get your money it doesn't matter. So everyone wants to be like, I'm not going to call his name, but, but this big-time rapper, you know, who's a big-time drug dealer, you know, and, and, and uh, they want to be like him. And so my position is that, you know, this guy is not someone to emulate. This guy is quintessential of uh, the problem. Uh, that African people face and our struggle to survive in the context of a very hostile society. So clearly, Brother Africa, uh, without us, creating organizations, without us taking a stand, overcoming the fear factor, then this kind of wholesale killing of African people, uh, uh, this, this um, disparate treatment of African people when it comes to law enforcement is not going to change when I'm older. And so when they create a situation where white folks who are armed are not shot, but African people who are unarmed are shot, then clearly there's something there's something, there's something here, and we have to address it. But first and foremost, we have to overcome the fear factor, yes, which
3: I do are. understand. Hi, thank you, Brother Jackie. Let's go to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, your take on the phenomenon. Given the reality that we have many so-called African police chiefs, we have even had a so-called African president. So called in power, we have hundreds and hundreds of africans in in- pl- both political parties, but still this doesn't trans transcend to any respect for lives of African people, which you make of this brother Anthony. Uh,
5: what it translates to is the fact that uh is that, uh, is, the, the, is that the Africans that are part of this uh, duopoly are politically powerless. And the reason why uh, we're politically powerless is because we're disorganized. Uh, we, ha- we, ha- we do not form our own independent political organizations to hold our leadership accountable for the actions that they take. That is why, in spite of all the, uh, the 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 African elected officials we have in office, in some cases some of them are police chiefs, commissioners, mayors, go, uh, you know, in some cases lieutenant governors, but. Because we do not form our own independent political organizations, we cannot hold them accountable for their actions. That is why it is important for us to form our own political, independent political organizations so that we can hold our leadership accountable to us. And uh, a lot of these uh, officials, not necessarily all of them, but a lot of them are more loyal to the political parties that they belong to than they are to the people that elected them to these positions or that created the climate in which they get appointed to some of these positions so i uh you know uh you know it's critical that we form our own independent political organizations and uh you know the more organized uh the better off we are uh but a lot of our people do not under- uh, do not understand that and uh and uh, that's why uh you know we 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 are a lot of us are in fear of these uh europeans because they inculcate this fear deliberately by uh you know the uh their weapons of uh mass destruction and the terrorism that they have uh meted out to the indigenous and uh african communities Inside, uh, inside the U.S. And the only way to counter that is through permanent mass organization because our oppression is systemic. It is not the fault or the primarily the responsibility of this or that particular individual. It is systemic. And uh, it can only be uh, only be defeated in an organized fashion.
3: Thank you, Brother Anthony. This is Eleanor. As we discuss this particular phenomena, um, some people make the argument that the major problem is too many guns on the streets. The idea guns don't kill; people kill. How do you respond to that criticism?
7: Brother Africa, we see the increased militarization of our uh, society, of the police force. We now see security guards um, and and, and CVS and grocery stores with weapons, and they suddenly have the authority on site of the police. So we see a militarization of our entire culture. But the strange thing about U.S. culture is that uh, the media has somehow controls the minds of people. And I spoke to a young woman today, and she was sitting with her nine-year-old child, and she told me how she had never voted and uh, she didn't pay any attention to politics. And I look at the same time that Myra Flores, a a, a Latino sister, just won the 34th District, uh, congressional district in uh southern Texas and she's the first Mexican born uh uh, uh congr- congressperson and uh or a, a latino congress yeah Mexican born congressperson and she's a tr- pro Trump person and believes that uh that there's a conspiracy against Trump so we see that, um, you know, what's happened in our country, in well, not our country, but in the United States, to African people and people of African origin, the descendant of slaves, it has been 100 years of living under apartheid, and now we had uh, uh, civil rights legislation that passed, and the reforming of the Congressional Black caucus, and I think that uh, uh people are truly distracted and um, uh, um the media plays such a role, and they're willing to accept this uh domination and and the way that housing is managed and the way that food is distributed. Uh, It's all um, controlled by the state for the working class and the poor. You see working people dependent on uh, uh, boxes from charitable organization and food stamps, and you see folks uh, dependent on housing subsidies. And you see an increasing authoritarian society, so whether or not there are too many guns. I don't I mean, look how how did you sell an eighteen year old three hundred and ninety seven rounds of bullets two weeks after his eighteen year old eighteenth birthday. He couldn't buy a drink but he could buy all these bullets. And uh these these uh and anyone should have told him, Well, if you're going hunting, son, you're gonna st- destroy the caucus and you won't be able to eat it or if you're killing a deer or something. But why 397 bullets? So there's something wrong in, our, in the U.S. society that allows this type of pervasive violence. And um, on the Second Amendment and the right to bear arms, the state and its militarization is a problem. But so are these uh, what are they? these white supremacists and these super arms that they're accumulating and their children are accumulating. And the fact that the media tells them when they do this violence against others that it is good for America and good that they're, they're heroes. Something's wrong with that. And I think the media, Brother Africa, or the computers and what they're tuning into and the algorithms that they're, they're being picked up by or whatever it's called are having a tremendous impact. And for us as African people, as the fellow panelists have said, it's really about organization and education. And it's really about um, taking control of our youth and guiding them in a, in a forward fashion. When Brother Hakee was talking about the drug dealers, it made me think of Dick Gregory and how he sat in Washington, D.C. in a tent in Malcolm X Park, um, Freak, um, Meridian Hill, Malcolm X Park. Um, because he felt that crack was uh invented for blacks to consume and to uh it was a human rights violation he felt that it was invented and it was having such a devastating impact on the African community in the in the nineties. So, you know, we we are under siege and as the panelists have said, we live in a racist society and as brother Anthony said, this Systemic racism So on the issue of guns It seems like It doesn't matter how many or how few They're just aimed at us young man Got shot last week uh, 90 bullets 60 went in him It was a traffic stop He had a rear view light supposedly out If it wasn't out Then when he started After the 90 bullets that 60 hit him It was by then so right now the issue is to take over the minds and hearts and try to have some influence over our people so they're not so apathetic. They, they're they young young people and they've given up already. They don't think they can have an impact on anything or anybody. They, they believe that their position is deserved and their fault. That they have done something wrong. This is the problem. The problem is Thank regaining you. their minds. Taking Thank control you, of Lord. our youth.
3: Thank you, Sister. Lord, Brother Moses, talk to us. We shall take on the phenomenon.
6: Okay, Brother Africa. Okay, it's been a long, long drawn-out uh, listening, uh,
3: uh, and
6: um, people have covered a, num- a number of grounds here. Uh,
3: let, let, let me let me raise this with you, Brother Moses. I mean, people have to interpret actions and internalize them in order to come up with a reasonable response. Looking at these kind of responses by the. Legal law, so-called legal law enforcement agencies. Uh, some people would analyze that these responses are a organized attempt or a form of warfare against a particular segment of this population. Would you mind to that logic?
6: Yes, of course. Um, organize the organized right on a right wing is definitely on the move i mean it's no question about that uh, they have an agenda of anti immigrant anti black anti um poor people basically and um you know they they are they're organizing there's definitely a war going on i mean there's no question about it and the police the police uh, are armed and dangerous and they have shown that they're on the on the side of of the races basically that they have they've been infiltrated and and uh and uh are dominated by the the white nationalists in the society and that's 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 what's going on now that's why they're shooting us and um we have to organize ourselves and to resist uh it goes without saying
3: Thank you, Brother Moses. Before we take our break and go into our theme tonight, U.S. and Crime Against Humanity, panelists, just like to get a generous response uh, from all of y'all in terms of um, we look at the, 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 the situation of these electoral politics. And recently, you know, that was the election in Colombia where for, for the first time, we had forces to the so-called left or center-left. They won the presidency with the first time in history of a African sister born in Colombia becoming the vice president. You had the team of uh, Petro. They had sister Francia Marquis. They won the election in Colombia. And one of the things this election had that is very similar to many U.S. elections, is that it took African population that made a difference in terms of the victory. And I just wonder in terms of the significance of this election in Colombia, with it's the third largest nation in the Western Hemisphere of African people. What do you make of this particular in, um, significance of this election? And for the first time, Brother Brother Haki, they have a sister who will, who will be sucking in power in terms of when we're talking about this whole electoral politics in Colombia. Okay, it's parallel to elections historically that have taken place in the U.S. where the Africans play a major role of electing um, people in these, these positions. Your know, general take uh, the significance of what's going on in Colombia and this victory.
4: Yeah, I I think uh, the sister's uh, selection as you know vice the vice president is is quite significant. Uh, one of the things I'm I'm glad to see is that uh, the situation in, in Colombia is very chaotic and it's very very dangerous. Uh, numerous struggles continue to persist in Colombia, and of course historically, African Union has been under attack you know, by the state. And so, therefore, I'm glad to see that, you know, despite these dangers, many in African Union stood up and said, "Listen, uh, we have to we have to pursue change." And in such voting, you know, for a progressive ticket in terms of uh, coming to power in Colombia. Uh, but the mere fact that the sisters V.P. is it was a good choice by the president because the sisters has a long history in terms of, in terms of political organization, in terms of struggling for for justice, struggling for humanity in Colombia. So so when we, when we look at uh you know her 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 selection as VP uh is quite is, is is very instrumental in terms of uh possibilities. And so when people look at that if they can do that in Colombia they can do it anywhere. So clearly uh, her her uh, election is is quite
3: substantial. Thank you brother I'm brother keep brother Anthony for want to show general this recent victory in Colombia and the election
5: Oh, uh, uh my take it, oh my take on it is that I think it's very significant, and uh the Africans in colombia uh face as much uh repression and violence as african africans in the u s do so if it could be done in in Colombia is possible to do something similar here if we if we get politically organized, and I think and and I think that's a I think that's a key factor. It took it 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 took a lot of uh, it took a great deal of work, and uh, and it took a great and it took. Uh, a willingness to face the dangers of politically organizing in Colombia to bring this about. this was no easy feat by any means but uh, but I think uh, but it was a combination of things. One, the people were fed up were sufficiently fed up with the status quo in Colombia that they were willing to try something different. That's one factor. And it took a lot of organizing and a lot of political work uh, because uh, the Africans in Colombia have been, uh, you know, subjected to, uh, you know, uh, some uh, levels of terrorism that Africans in the U.S. have. For many centuries uh for several centuries, I should say and uh so uh you know so I think uh you know what um, what happened in Colombia shows what possible was possible when uh, people are organized and determined uh you know to move in, in a different direction. But it uh, but it takes uh, it it took a lot of work and uh, a lot of sacrifice in order to bring that about.
3: So Dr. Noah, Brother Moses, anything you'd like to say about this recent election that took place yes, in Colombia? Yes,
7: yes, yes. Um, the election. Um, Africans in Colombia make up 25 percent of the population and as Brother Anthony and Brother Hakia said, it took organization, and they are organized with the indigenous people. And the U.S.-backed war on drugs has had a tremendous impact on the African and indigenous people who are not the the cartel, but somehow, um, as the candidate uh, spoke, she uh, talked about, Um, the violence that people face uh, through the military. But I think organization of the indigenous and uh, African people had a tremendous impact. And keep in mind the, the candidate that they were running against was more outrageous than Bolsonaro or Trump in that he said Hitler was one of the greatest minds of the 20th century. So the people knew that they were going to face something far more terrible than the status quo. This new authoritarianism that's sweeping uh, planet Earth right now in the 21st century is a danger, not only here in the United States, the capitalist imperialist expansionist United States, but also... Uh, in the global south and in Central and South America. And uh, the U.S. has a history of supporting uh, authoritarian governments. We saw it in Chile in 72. We saw it in Guatemala with United Fruit. And uh, its corporate interests, uh, have been its main interest until the forming of the uh, Soviet Union has always been expansionism, and it supports its business interests in Central and South America, and has. Um, um, so this is a tremendous victory, and it's a victory that was done through organizing and organizing not only the 25%, but the indigenous people, and uh, having a united front. And that's an important thing to understand. And also, the fact that environmentalism and the environment was an important issue, as well as standing up against fascism. So, congratulations to the people of Colombia, and uh, it's a bright day
3: with the world. Let's bring it in, our Brother Moses. Brother Moses, talk to us.
6: Yeah, this this is a great, this is a good good progressive move. Uh, it has to be, the people united will never be defeated, and it has to be org- coordinated with uh, progressive and continued struggle to to overthrow the 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 ruling class in Colombia, And so, so that's, that's the thing. It has to be, uh, a, uh, not just a victory, uh, but a movement, a movement for justice and equality. And, and, uh, to have to use the, the, the platform to organize, to propagandize, to agitate, and to, to, uh, bring about a new society, uh, that's that's the real issue that's the real goal and uh you know this election was was just one step in the process hopefully they have a vision that that is revolutionary uh and uh, i know the FARC is no the FAC are, are you know is given up the are some of their tactics and uh I guess this is a direct result of organizing um, the the left. And so, you know, I wish them well. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Brother Lozier. Brother Haki, you know, one of the things, of course, may be asking why in the hell are we talking about Colombia? They don't see the connection and the role that this government has played and continue to play in terms of terrorizing the people in Colombia. I mean, the schools of the Americas. that's where well, St. Benny, South Carolina, I believe, that's where a lot of times uh, they take military soldiers from Columbia, bring them up here, and teach them how to do all kind of terrorist acts. Yeah, many corporations have gone to Columbia and gave directions and support to genocide large African communities on the, on the coast the, the Pacific Coast of Colombia, and as a result of doing that, their land has been confiscated complicate, because complicated, complicated. Their, their land has been taken because they found out they had many precious mineral, minerals under their land. They found they had oil, et cetera, gold, you name it. And uh, it's a lot of it has been orchestrated. From companies and from the US government. Uh, I mean, you know, this whole question of playing Colombia, that's what that is all about. So, how do we do more work, Brother Haki, to make people in this in this country, particularly the African community, realize not only are there a connection between diverse communities, but really the battle is against the same folks who are oppressing us here and throughout the world? Your response, Brother Haki.
4: Yeah, well, it, I think it's important people understand, uh, and just in terms of U.S. history, U.S. history has always been one of anti-people uh, of color. And understanding that, then we understand in terms of imperialist motives, in terms of, you know, uh, the exploitation of Colombia. And understanding the exploitation of Colombia, then we have to understand, and when we look at the social economic condition of Africans in America, then we have to ask ourselves, then why is the same kind of Social issues, political and economic issues that Colombians, African Colombians face, are also pre- are prevalent here in America. And the question is that that, that anti-people of color bias that exists in American society. Then superposed upon that, we're talking about systems in place which sort of legitimizes this whole uh, uh, antagonism or, or, or hatred of, of people of color. Uh, for in the case of America, we talk about something like, say, PAX Americana. And we talk about what U.S. power in terms of right to use it for the benefit of of, of the powerful, specifically the powerful, white white powerful elites. So when we talk about this kind of phenomenon, then we understand that this power is not only used in the U.S. in terms of making sure the interests of of white elites prevail, but it's also used in Colombianism to ensure that the interests of, of white folks both in Colombia and the U.S. also prevail. So then we have to understand the reality, the history in terms of that. So one of the problems is I think we have to overcome is this notion that in fact that uh, that these people are somehow different than yourself. And I have to fundamentally begin to understand that we're, we're all, and once we come to the realization we're all part of the oppressed people, then I think we can better appreciate you know, the the, 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 the inequalities that African people are confronted with, whether in America, in Colombia, Africa, or where, or throughout the world. So I think to, to that extent, once people come to the realization you know, that we're part of an oppressed people, then we begin to understand fully understand U.S. foreign policy, all of the entails, and what it means to the lives of African people, irrespective of where they live in the world.
3: And, Brother Anthony, we understand how three military installations or bases inside of Colombia. Why are there military bases, U.S. military bases, inside of Colombia?
5: Okay. Uh, uh partly to overthrow the government of Venezuela, for one. And another is also to uh, ensure uh, U.S. dominance in that region. Uh, there are political figures inside the U.S. that consider Central, uh, uh, South America, and the Caribbean as the U.S.'s backyard. Uh, politically and culturally speaking, and uh, so they want to make sure that the U.S. is, is as dominant as possible. However, it is running against uh, against resistance from the indigenous people and Africans in the in those countries in Central and South America and the Caribbean, particularly. Uh, Cuba, Venezuela, Nicaragua, Bolivia, now Colombia, Honduras, and numerous other countries. And, uh, you know, and so there is resistance being uh, mounted in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, The problem in the U.S. is that... uh, is that there is a great deal of uh, miseducation and disorganization among the oppressed people inside the U.S. And so they, uh, so a lot of people in the U.S. are confused. Uh, they think that uh, that this empire belongs to them, that it includes them, and it doesn't. And uh, the bourgeoisie in the U.S. is more entrenched than in any other part of the Americas. And uh, that's why the battle is much more difficult. But it's the similar struggle. So I think that the, to the extent that we're able to educate the masses of the people that the struggles are similar. And that we can defeat, uh, you know, imperialist forces by using similar methods. In other words, building uh, coalitions with people that are similarly oppressed. A lot of the information that is put out in this paper that we're going to discuss later, the crimes of the U.S. government, it is not widely taught inside the u s so a lot of people don't know of the crimes against you uh uh uh, uh of the u s government they only know of the crimes of the bourgeoisie outside of the u s and then not that well so uh we have a lot of work to do but it, but I think uh, this election in Clu- uh, in Colombia shows the possibilities if we're critically organized.
3: And Sister Eleanor, we're gonna give you the, a few minutes to make some final remarks on Colombia's and struggle and its relationship to the U.S. Sister Eleanor, anything else you'd like to add to this to this discussion?
7: I'm sorry. What I, I didn't. What did you say, Brother Africa?
3: I'm sorry. Anything else you'd like to add to the discussion? Yeah, we'll I think to. it's
7: really important to note that the U.S. had already annexed part of Colombia to create the nation Panama in the construction of the Panama Canal, because Colombia originally extended into the North American Peninsula. And I think the environmental movement, the indigenous movement, and as Brother um, Anthony and I think Brother Moses and Ike had mentioned that the indigenous people and the African people have united, and and they've united around um, protecting the land, protecting Mother Earth. If you love Mother Earth and realize what a, a, a crisis The planet is in. You're not supporting deforestation. You're not supporting drilling of fossil fuels and this kind of thing. And we have to remember that um, the U.S., its first expansionist politics before the Soviet Union was uh, Bolshevik Revolution in 1917, was with our neighbors, uh, U.S. citizens from the very wealthy to the single pan um minor <clears throat> owned over uh nearly half of the land arid land in Mexico so our our president or oh, not our president but U- US president Woodrow Wilson made sure that the Uh, uh, the coup that had happened and that the U.S. had supported in Mexico from the 19th century to the early uh, 20th century, that dictator who killed the president and then took over, supported U.S. interests, and U.S. flags flew all over Mexico. And by the time um, the great artist Rivera had come along, one of the murals I talk about on the show that he did, says it all with United Fruit, with the uh, Dulles brother driving the Jeep, and the U.S.-backed dictator in the passenger seat, and Eisenhower's face in the uh, cannonball that's going to blow the people, and the puppet puppet uh, president says, uh, the U.S. president by proxy of Guatemala says, I'll make the streets run red red with blood. And uh, for what? For corporate interests that aren't even vested in, I mean, just corporate interests, just imperialism. So, as everyone has already said, the Central and South America has long been under the influence of the U.S., and the U.S. has... Uh, for democratic socialism, socialism, communism, and, and in the Central and South America, they tend to elect more progressive governments, and the U.S. is clearly opposed to that. And for us as Africans here, they've taken over. They have so many institutionalized, so much of this racism, until people accept it. As, as almost a gift and a way of life because it provides food and shelter. And we don't recognize housing and education and health care in the United States as human rights. The U.N. may, but not the U.S. And and as I mentioned earlier, uh, we're still operating under the Harry S. Truman Doctrine that established NATO in 1947, and we're expanding NATO, which is a threat to all humanity and all nations. Uh, While its goal is now not to restrain the Soviet Union, but to restrain Russia, one country that is rich in oil, minerals, and gas that the EU needs. So <clears throat> it's a type of global vigilantism going on. And uh, just remember that the U.S. has already annexed part of Colombia. It's now called Panama. It's, quote, it's a sovereign nation.
3: Thank you so Brother
7: Moses.
3: Brother Moses, any final thoughts on the subject of Columbia?
6: Um, not at the moment, no, thank
3: you. Okay, thank you, Brother Moses, and to our listening audience, we thank you for allowing us to come to your homes on Sunday evenings and uh, we invite you to call in and give us your thoughts. And we discuss very issues or topics that that have a impact on our lives and our communities. We're going to take a regulatory culture break, and when we come back, we encourage you to check out this document titled Crimes of the United States Government. Crimes of the United States Government from the trail trail of teals to the invasion of Iraq. It's a really interesting document, and it can speak to one particular issue. What is the U.S. government, and they are who they say they are once we read this particular article. And we can discuss it. So when we come back, we will have that discussion. U.S. and crimes against humanity. This is Africa on the Moon.
11: A new day must begin Just to die For yourself For the tribes You terminated For the myth You keep alive For the land You confiscated For a free Beauty Bri- you have cost, for the good you prostitute, and for all that we have lost.
3: that comes from the indigenous nation, the indigenous people. And as we make our transition to today's theme, U.S. and Crime Against Humanity, we will encourage all our listening audience to take some time out and find this document titled, Crimes of the United States Government, Crimes of the United States Government from the Trails or Tears to the Invasion of Iraq. It's a document that answers one fundamental question. Who is or what is the U.S. government? What is the United States of America? It answers that question, and it says, I am who I say I am. So to my political panelists, analysts, we're going to start with you. Brother Haki. in terms of looking at this document, when you talk about some of the crimes against America and who is or what is the United States government, when you look at this question of the history and the legacy that this government has left, as Brother Malcolm once taught us, history is best to reward those who research. So if you had to answer the question, what is the U.S. government or who is the U.S. government, based on the document, Brother Ike, you got some time, so take your time to properly define what is the U.S. United States government, Brother
0: key
4: Well, in the words of Dr. Martin Luther King, the U.S. is the greatest purveyor of violence in the world. Uh, when we talk about imperialism, uh, you know, uh, there's there's no country that comes close in terms of um, Uh, executing the kind of imperialism, the kind of global injustice uh, that the U.S. has been able to uh, perpetuate. Uh, So clearly when we talk about America, uh, you know, uh, a lot of times people have blinders on, and they don't want to see America for what it is. But strikingly, I think it's important people understand that, you know, since 1776, Brother Africa, U.S. has been involved in over, uh, over 225 years of war out of the existence of 246 years. What does that say to you in terms of a country that supposedly uh, values uh, hu- values uh, humanity, uh, who supposedly uh, created, created a document that says that all human beings are created equal? Clearly, when we look in terms of at what, what America stands for and uh, what America lets to be, uh, clearly there are two different things. One is real Irish, Brother African, when we get right down to the point, is that, you know, when we talk about, you know, uh, you know, crimes against humanity. You know, one of the things that is, is, is important is that you know we have a we have a UN, an international international criminal court, which established all kinds of statutes in terms of attempting to make the world a better place. And certainly, one of these statutes uh, uh, that they innovated was one deal with the question of genocide. Now, interestingly enough, when we talk about genocide, uh, as far as the United States government is concerned. Uh, the question of genocide is not a legitimate question, and so you may ask me why would it not be a legitimate question? Simple, simply, simply, simply put, that when you talk about you know uh, the wholesale treatment of a particular group in a way which is guaranteed to bring about the destruction, then clearly that is genocide, and clearly America has been guilty of that. But when you when you take a, a when you take a final look, a finer look in terms of you know uh, you know how the UN is organized. Uh, one of the things that uh, the United States government is very, very clear on is that it realized that a lot of these statues, a lot of these conventions, and around human rights, uh, were to be uh, were to be, uh, op, to be uh, obfuscated. In other words, their position was that we cannot participate or even uh, or even or even endorse certain kinds of certain conventions or statutes, which still is the question in terms of genocide. Specifically, Brother Africa, I'm talking about you know, the uh, the uh, the American Convention on, on Human Rights. Uh, one of the things I don't think most people realize when we talk about the Convention on Human Rights, you, the U.S. is not a signatory of the Convention on Human Rights. That is very interesting. And, of course, one of the reasons why the government continues to gears is why it refuses to ratify uh, the, the, the Convention on Human Rights. They say that. It's a belief that the, it would interfere with the federal system to allow the president to enter into an agreement, international agreement that will legally bind the states. Now, the federal system is a, a realization that uh, the states are also part of the system. And it's said the federal government feels like it doesn't have a right to arbitrarily impose on states. that They should have that kind of autonomy in terms of conducting their own affairs. That's federalism. Ironically, when you talk about it in terms of uh, in terms of federalism, when it comes to when it comes to commerce in the United States, the U.S. government is not concerned about the rights of the states. NAFTA, World Trade Organization, these, these, these clauses all exist to the exclusion of any input from states. And so this notion that the federal government can't can participate in legitimizing human rights for people under the guise that to do so will alienate states is a cock-a-bull. But clearly this is, this is one of the problems when we talk about, uh, you know, um, and talk about what it is, what the United States really stands for. Now, the, one for final thing about that, and this is important for people to understand in terms of this whole question, in terms of what defines genocide. Now, according to the International Criminal Court, all right, genocide is, is these things, right? All right, so killing of members of a group. Mental. Secondly, uh, mental bodily harm to a group. Thirdly, conditions created to bring about physical destruction of that group. Uh, prevention, fourthly, prevention of birth and. Fifthly, forcibly transferring children to other groups. Uh, and ironically, when we talk about in terms of what, what, what is the United States, the United States is guilty of violation of all five conditions in terms of what constitutes, what constitutes a, uh, genocide. Uh, so clearly, Brother Africa, so this question in terms of humanity I think is, is, is important because one of the things when we start looking in terms of the conditions of, let's say, uh, African people in society, and we look at the kind of social, economic barriers that's constructed specifically for the sole purpose of undermining the intellectual development or emotional de- development of a people. And it's doing so with the intent to ultimately destroy that population. And so one of the things that the United States understands in terms of safeguarding is, is in principles. It understands that to acknowledge that what it does is, in fact, genocidal uh, would, would undermine the their, 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 their ability to carry out fascism. So for that reason alone, they would never even legitimate. So we start talking about genocide. As far as U.S. government is concerned, genocide for the U.S. government doesn't exist. Because if they acknowledge genocide exists, then fundamentally the U.S. will be fundamentally guilty of genocide across the board, not just in America, but throughout the world. Uh, and we talk about the, the, the fate of the indigenous people. Uh, that is something else. Uh, you know, you earlier alluded to the Trail of Tears, brother Africa. And here's the thing that the Trail of Tears happened between 1830 and 1850. Now, the Trail of Tears was simply a relocation of indigenous people in the southwest U.S. Uh, specifically, they relocated to Cherokee, and later on, they passed an act called the Indian Removal Act. This was in 1830, in which they, they also moved a lot the, the Chaka community, the Muskogee Musco, Musco, community, the Chickasaw, and the Seminole communities. And in the process, they essentially took over 25 million acres of land from indigenous people here in America. Clearly, brother Africa, if America's in fact a country that stood for that which is right, then clearly, and given this reality, uh, one of the things that you can't, pay, you can't affect the past, but thing, when you can do is to affect the future. And so in understanding these, these systematic, these fundamental wrongs committed against indigenous people in America, then you would think that someone in America's government would say, listen, what we did was, was, was demonstrably wrong, it was savage. We're going to mix up our by making sure that the conditions that we created to subject the indigenous people to abhorrent conditions, we're going to eradicate those conditions to make sure the people of those indigenous nations are able you know, to have their families, uh, to be educated, to be housed, to, be, to, to have the food, all those things they need in terms of being viable human beings. But that doesn't happen simply because when you ask me the question, what is the United States? But well, the United States is, is all about all those things that are uh, adversarial. It's all about those things that are destructive and wrong. And so therefore we, so when you ask an entity like that, do that which is right, they look at you like, what are you talking about right? Because for them, to do what is right is ambiguous. They don't understand what you're saying. Uh, there's an old song by Leonard Cohen. He's talking about, um, he said, um, he said um, they repent. And every time you say repent, the, people, the response is, I don't know what you meant. In other words, you know, you've been doing wrong so long, it's just part of your DNA, so you're incapable in terms of understanding that which is right. So to answer your question, Mother Africa, what is America? It's the most, it's, it's, it's the most imperialist, destructive nation in the history of, of, of nations on the planet, and nothing's going to change unless people, first and foremost, understand what America is what it represents, and fight to change
3: that. And I close with that. Thank you, Brother Haki. Going to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, we, don't, we would like for you to answer the same question. Take your time, because this is going to be a first-fire, 2 part series of U.S. and crime against humanity. You know, we're not against the critical race theory. We think we need to teach, teach the truth, and that's what we're going to do. So, Brother Anthony, we're going to turn this mic over to you and for your thoughts on this particular document for this first part of two-part series. Take your time, Brother. Sure. Talk to us.
0: Sure.
5: Sure. Well, certainly. Uh, the U.S. government, and I want to emphasize the U.S. government as opposed to the people in the U.S., who are victims of the u s government for the most part with the exception of a small sector of uh, who this gov- u s government serves is an imperialist government and at a minimum had been a a, a a a capitalist government from day one uh in set uh Going back as far as 1776, the war that was w- waged between it and Britain was a battle over which bourgeoisie would 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 w- would dominate in the Western Hemisphere in what was the so-called Thirteen Colonies whether it it would be the bourgeoisie that was based in Britain or the settler colonialists who had migrated from Britain and other parts of Europe to the Western Hemisphere of what was called the Americas. That is what it's about. And... uh, and uh in essence, the so-called American Revolutionary War was not really revolutionary in uh, in the sense that there was not a change in the system but in terms of who controlled it. and it went from uh those uh th- those uh English colonists in England to the settler colonialists in uh, that were living in the Western Hemisphere, the so-called 13 colonies. And uh, that is essentially what the U.S. has remained throughout its 200-odd-year history, which is why it is still governed by the same Constitution, and it uses this as a selling point uh, that was drafted in 1776, even though the world has changed drastically since that time period. But the underlying principles that govern the U.S. still govern the U.S. to this day. And is still a bourgeois democratic uh capitalist state and uh and uh the, and it's only the organization of the masses of laboring people change that it is not the uh the good will and wishes of uh, the aristocracy or, uh, or uh, you know, or, or prayers. It is the work and labor of the toiling masses that will uh, change that situation. And I've noticed that, uh, that the author of this paper uh uh that lays out three categories of genocide physical biological and cultural the physical is uh the killing uh the per- 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 perpetration of violence against people of uh, people that are bringing about their death Biological is preventing the reproduction of the uh, of people. In other words, interfering with their, uh, their ability to reproduce. And cultural genocide is the taking away of people from uh, their cultural group and transferring the youth to another cultural group and in addition to the, uh, to the indigenous people of the Western Hemisphere, Africans who were uh, brought here from Africa have been subject to all three forms. And uh, so, and uh, that is why we're in the state that we're in presently.
3: Thank you, Brother Anthony. Sister Eleanor, the mic is yours.
7: Well, as Brother Anthony said, to continue the U.S. defin the U.N.'s definition of genocide under... Article 6, any of the following acts committed with intent to destroy in whole or in part a national, ethical, racial, or religious group as such, and, you know, causing seriously bodily or mentally harm to its members of the group deliberately inflicting on the group's conditions of life calculated to bring it physical destruction in whole or in part. And he mentioned others. But in addition, it goes further to um, the reality is that the what what happened to the indigenous people and the Africans and continues to happen and how it happened throughout uh, the world is just outrageous. And, and it talked about, you know, soon after the arrival of the initial European colonists, uh, the invasion on the 12th of October of 1492, And throughout the 16th through the 20th century, the indigenous people of the continent were subject to genocide and crimes against humanity by various colonist groups originating from the region of Europe. And the, uh, and, and, and the European naming in Eastern Hemisphere that during the 500 year period the indigenous people of the Western continent as a collective humanity were commonly referred to as, uh, um, I guess they were commonly referred to as something other, other other than, uh... uh... collective human, they were a collective human category, but just definitely not equal to the, quote, Europeans. And, uh, they were mistakenly called, a popular misnomer is to call the indigenous people Indians. Um... But the reality is is that we've seen nothing but atrocity after atrocity uh don in the article I read where thirty five children were bludgeoned to death and scalped by these people and you see numerous photographs the photographs that wounded me you see um, um literally artwork that depicts this savagery and this 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 uh genocide and at the same time um the enslavement of African and indigenous people and the occupation of the forty eight states and uh Ultimately, uh, it 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 it's just uh, uh, it it talked about and I quote the pitiful wailing cries of babies and children mixed with the dull explosions of the old-fashioned, hoxic machine guns, piercing through the cold air. Those sickening thumps as these big lead bullets smashed into the bodies of babies and/or children's arms and heads, all flying in different directions. This this goes on right up into um, Iraq and the Bush, George W. Bush, being brought up on war crimes. Uh, the United States has an awful history. Uh, of abuse and uh, genocidal behavior, we practice apartheid for 100 years. We taught the world, the modern day world, we 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 are the creators of apartheid.
3: Thank you, Sister Eleanor. We can go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, the mic is yours.
6: Yeah, we see that this, this genocide has been taking place with the Native American people from the moment this this country was so called discovered. And um, you know, this is well documented in in this in this paper and it's well written. Um, I also refer you to um Roxanne Dumma Ortiz, the Native Americans History of the United States covers some of this ground too. Uh, we have to understand that the U.S. has been on the wrong side of history. The U.S. government has been on the wrong side of history from its conception of the Calvin Revolution of 1776 by Gerald Hohen, Hohen uh, discusses. And so from the exception it was on the wrong side of history, it's been on the wrong side of history and will continue to be on the wrong side of history until it is replaced by a revolutionary government. And so we have to understand that. And so now, um, you know, in my lifetime, I've seen all sorts of atrocities. And, and just in within my lifetime, um, the Vietnam War, the lie at the Gulf of Token and, and the carpet bombing and the atrocities against the Vietnam people, uh, you know, the lie that took us into a map of mass destruction that took us into Iraq and the bombing of the, of the Iraqi people back to the Middle Ages. I mean, it's been, you know, one thing after another. Um, the 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 just blatant chauvinism and uh, of uh, Hillary Clinton and 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 uh, the Barack Obama administration and overthrowing the Libyan government. Uh, I've seen all sorts of atrocities. I don't. Uh, I think, you know, we have to study history and learn from history and uh, but the most important thing is not just to know the facts but to know what to do about it. To how to how to prevent it from happening again and how to bring justice to those who are still by this government. And so we have to organize, organize, organize from a grassroots level. We can't go from the top down, but we gotta be organizing just like in Colombia, they need to be organized and continue to organize the grassroots people and, um, and carry the revolution through. And so, you know, we have to be vigilant and uh, and and keep politics in command. Thank you.
3: Thank you, President Moses. You listen to Africa on a Moon. I'm your host, Brother Africa. We're discussing U.S. crime against humanity. This is part one of two part series. Next week, we will really talk about many other active, um, acts that took place and make you become more of a concrete history. So right now, what we're going to do is, is we're going to pause for the close, go to a revolutionary break, and when we come back,
0: we're going to ask
3: our panelists and what they're for for tonight. This is Africa on the moon.
2: It's to eat on the beach. Oh, hey, this one, uh, the
9: beat is go make you manya manya, Oh, yeah, make you. go Mama Africa, Make you dance yeah. Everybody, Mama Africa, It's gonna make you mana manya it manya. is manya, manya this is for people we a hey. hey. people we a lot of people with a lot of make you feel better This can with a This can with 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 a lot of make you feel lot of people with a lot of people Ghana and I oh yeah, make you, di kota di kota mama Africa, di kota eh. Make it happen, kota kota Africa, kota it happen, yeah, 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 yeah. One day Sarah-tara-tara-ale, on Sarah-tara-tara-ale. it Africa, this one not die, oh If you need us some easy make you no fight, oh hey, You go forget your sorrow oh. Makachuku, you, cool, you go buy a favor, for your motto, oh hey, Oh, this one oh, die, die. This is tanatana, it gon' make you manya-manya in manya-manya, this is for people with kalacha hey. People with kalaka, hey. hey. nandi walanya hey. Nandi kalanya, hey. it gon' make you feel better This can take you with palapa, this can take it pala. you with wala It gon' make you feel naja, or yeah, let's go to Zambia Uganda, South Africa, Ogo, Kameru, Burundi Let's make it pop yeah, make you yeah, Everybody, make you dance, yeah, 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 yeah. One day, Sara, Sara, le, oh Sara, Sara, make you dance, yeah, 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 yeah. mama Africa, Sara, Sara, make
3: We'd like to welcome you back to African Mo. We're discussing the first part of a two part series, US and cram, Crimes Against Humanity. What we're gonna do right now is just talk to and listen, to the audience. That you can join us every Sunday evening starting at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, U.S. Please spread the word and help us build the station. We want to create a vehicle where we become a voice for the voiceless as well as a voice for African people at home and around the world. And you can do that if you'd like to join our support team and fan club email us at move 2 at gmail.com and say, I listen to your station. We would like to become a supporter. We would greatly appreciate it. Appreciate that so we can have direct contact with you so that when things are going on, we can communicate with you on a timely, timely basis. Also, we'd like to remind our audience that the African Women Association has rescheduled its feed around ride to Cuba so we can give people more time to plan and to participate. We have rescheduled our tour to Cuba for for, for January 2023. More details will be coming out as so we're to this rescheduling uh, in the near future. So again, we thank you for your patience. And at this point in time, we're going to go back to our political panelists and panelists and get their final thoughts for today's program. We start on right now with Brother Moses. Your final thoughts, Brother Moses.
6: Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa. Um I didn't mention the May A massacre. It's another one that occurred in during my lifetime. Um but like we we uh have to organize on a grassroots level uh the everyday common citizen who is on unorganized has to be organized, and and we have to raise political consciousness. And you know we have a great deal of organization being done now. There are a lot of politically conscious people, but we need to we need to somehow unite them into a political force that is able to take on this this beast. And um, that's a lot easier said than done, but. But um, there, like I said, there's a lot of Parties, organizations And um, we need to We need to unite On a united front And so I'll just leave it right there, thank you
3: Thank you, Brother Moses For your contribution to today's program And we will now go to Sister Eleanor For her final thoughts Sister Eleanor
7: Well Africa I want to bring up uh, Maya Flores in the thirty fourth con- distri- congressional district along the border. She's anti-immigrant. Uh, she was well received by the Republican Party. She was just elected and uh, it was a, 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 it was a small turnout, but nonetheless she is uh, the first Mexican born Congress person. And uh, it's amazing that the the sister's anti-immigrant. And then I go back to the article that we were reading, and it talked about 100 years of displacement of the indigenous people And uh, the fact that we continue to massacre men, women, and children and the destruction of their encampments, villages, and towns uh, means uh, uh, they weren't able to to sustain themselves combined with the forced relocation to U.S. reservations for over 100 years. 1776 to 1890, here we are in 2021, and a Mexican-born woman is elected to Congress running on a Trump, a Republican ticket saying she's the Democrat's worst nightmare and that uh, immigrants are causing a problem, and she herself is an immigrant who worked beside her parents in the field. Uh so, as Brother Moses said, we really need to organize. There are progressive people out there, but we need to organize and take over uh, the, uh, I think that uh, uh, voting is a, a great reform, and you can see this by the election of Myra Flores in the 34th Congressional District. And you can see that with the 39 states that have, passed anti-voting legislation. So that's a good place to organize and to organize around the environment, conservation, around reproductive rights, um, around education reform, health care reform, and uh, land management and uh corporate reform, because uh, the, the Supreme Court is going to want to, you know, limit control over, uh, 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 government control over corporations very soon, and it's next, uh, when it, when it returns in the fall. So there's a lot to organize around a woman's right to control her body and her family uh, these are very important things, and the indigenous people in this country are leading the environmental movement as they are around the world, and particularly in North and South America. We just saw it in Colombia with the election. So I'll close out with uh, we hope that this isn't just a action that we see in Colombia that the revolution is carried through, uh, we know that the U.S. interest in Colombia is not only uh, in controlling Colombia, but also Venezuela. And uh, this war against drugs is a propaganda war because, obviously, the drugs are still moving north. And the only people suffering are the working class in Colombia, according to uh, recent uh, report, or they they are causing suffering for the working class, black, for Africans and indigenous people. So I hope this revolution goes forward, and it's just not an action of electing someone, and 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 they maintain the the status quo. It's true they fought back fascism by not letting the guy who thought Hitler the candidate who thought Hitler was the greatest man of the the 20th century. But that's that's a horror to think that someone like that was running for public office in the 21st century. And uh, look how well Congresswoman uh, Flores was received. There was a huge press conference with the most conservative Republicans coming out. She feels
3: that things are hey, out of control at the border so we need to stand now. up and organize brother and have thank a good very week much. and you do the same Mr. <laughs> thank you brother Hockey, you found
4: it though, night you know <clears throat> you know about africa uh, you know i just wish <clears throat> uh we're gonna do things on a much lighter note but the situation is so serious now uh you know we can ill afford to uh to take things lightly uh you know particularly when you talk about the state of the economy uh one of the things we talk about is the tremendous inflation that exists in the society we talk about the rising prices in terms of gas food and shelter all those things are so 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 pertinent you to human existence so when we talk about inflation and the impact it has on working people in society, we can't, un, we, you know, we can't uh, make light of the fact, you know, that needless suffering and dying uh, that doesn't have to exist is occurring, you know, uh, on a daily basis, and it's something that within our, we have within our, our capacity, you know, to 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 to, uh, to end. Uh, you know, also, you know, one of the things, you know, when we in to inflation, we talk about in terms of the high prices. You know, recently the U.S. government has been sending you know uh, five million barrels of oil to Europe. Now we talk about the exorbitant prices in terms of gasoline in society. So why would the U.S. send five million barrels of oil, you know, to Europe? Uh, when in fact, uh, when we talk about those increasing prices in terms of gas, certainly those five those five million barrels could be very useful in terms of at least uh, stopping the price of uh, gas increases. If not, it's not going to lower the price of gas increases. Because the because the prices of of, of, oil, of gas is determined by the wealthy in terms of uh, in terms of investments. So it's not going to re- it's not going to reduce the uh, the price of gas, but at least it would halt the rise in terms of you know oil prices, gas prices. Uh, you know the U.S. Uh, releases one million barrels of oil daily, and despite this, uh, the as I alluded to, the the price of of price of gas does not decrease, and the question obviously is if you reduce releasing one million barrels of oil a you know uh, a week i'm sorry one a day, if you're releasing one million barrel of oil daily uh, and the price of oil, the price of gas continues to go upward, then what does that say in terms of the interest of the masses of people in society? What it does say is that the interest doesn't rely on this, with the masses of people, the interest relies with wealth, those people who have investments. You know, in oil and gas are making tons and tons of money while the overwhelming number of people uh, are facing hardship. Uh, also, we can underestimate the corporate debt in the society, Brother Africa. One of the things corporate debt is depends on, you know, stock and bond purchases. What the reality is that, you know, with a decline in terms of, with the rise of inflation uh, and the kind of yields, the kind of uh, money you can make from, you know, buying stocks and stocks and bonds. It uh, has just resulted in a decline in terms of purchases of stocks and bonds, which has a devastating impact on the overall U.S. economy. And again, the question is who suffers most from, this kind, from these kind of declines? Well, of course, it's, again, it's the working people. So clearly the government position is that uh, it, it works in the interest of the wealthy people. Now here's the problem. While the wealthy people in, enjoy the wealth of this nation and poor people in, uh, in, in have less and less access to wealth, the question is what do you do with all these increasing number of poor people you have who don't have access to wealth, who can't contribute to the economy. The question is, what do you do with them? I think for African people it's a very poignant question, but I think it's none one nonetheless that we have to address and understand in very urgency in terms of the situation that we find ourselves confronted with. Uh, and I haven't said that Brother Africa is always, you know, to urge people, you know, to, to unravel their matrix, uh, is key. Uh, for those who think that history doesn't repeat itself, all you have to do is go back and take a cursory look a glance uh at the at the history uh particularly in terms of in terms of let's say Germany or Italy or Spain. take a cursory look at those histories and look at them and compare them to what's happening currently in the United States and you will see the connection uh clearly after we're you know, we we're, 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 we're in big big trouble, so I encourage people to you know unravel that metrics. Because without some without unraveling the matrix and understanding, you know, how all these things intersect. You know, how the economy intersects with the political, how the political intersects with the social, unless we understand those connections, then we're, we're ill we're ill prepared in terms of understanding what we must do in terms of survival in society. And I'll close with it and Brother Africa, you have a good night and I'll close with that.
3: And you do the same, Brother High we thank you. Brother Anthony, your final thoughts for tonight.
5: My final thought for tonight is that there there are people out here that want to forget the past, but that is an error, a huge error, and uh, and it will prompt us, as uh, Juan Mitré used to say, to repeat historical errors. So we must make our people aware. Of this history that we discussed tonight, because uh because of the the uh the ruling classes' control of the media and the educational system, a lot of us do not know about this history uh that we discussed tonight, of how the indigenous people and African people have been tortured historically and uh, been victims of various forms of genocide. And we must teach that, and we must organize accordingly to prevent it from happening again. And uh, one way is to join an organization that is working for people's liberation, such as the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, which people can learn more about by visiting our website, www.a-aprp-gc.org. And you can learn about our program, objectives, which is Pan-Africanism, uh, the total liberation and unification of Africa into scientific socialism, and our history and political line. On that note, uh thank you and uh listening audience and fellow panelists for this opportunity to speak to speak before you this evening.
0: We
3: thank you as well Good night to you and to our listening audience. Again, we encourage you to email us at AfricaOwn2 at G. If you have any questions, we're going to copy this program. What we're trying to do is create a database so we can have access directly to you, so we can share with share things with you on a timely basis. This is very important to us. And just as a reminder, you can hear this program every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time U.S. Like always, we may not give you what you want. We try our best to give you what you need. And another program, Africa on the Moon, U.S. and Crime and Business Humanity, 5-1. And come back next Sunday and join us as we continue to discuss part two of this segment. go to our next round, like always, we encourage you to always subscribe to go forward, backwards, backwards, backwards. This is Brother Africa on Africa on the Moon. We'll see you next week. We leave you with some sounds of liberation. Oh, 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 oh,
1: oh, oh. He is my king, is my one, one, yes, he's my father, yes, he's my son, so I can talk to him because he understands Everything I go through and everything I am He's my support system I can't live without him The best thing since life's bread Is his kiss, his hugs, his lips, his touch And I just want the whole world to know about my black brother I love you And I'll never try to hurt you I want you to Know that I'm here for you, forever because 'Cause you're my side brother, strong brother. If there is no one above you. I want you to know that I'm here for you, forever true. Uh-huh. He's misunderstood. Yeah. Some say that he's up to no good around the neighborhood. we we'll your information. A lot of my brothers got education. Now check it, you got your Wall Street brother, your blue collar brother, you down for whatever, chillin' on the corner, brother. You're talented, brother, and to every one of y'all behind bars, you know that Angie loves you, my.
2: Today is the same And nothing ever changes Hung by news Can't tell the truth Filled with abuse And everywhere there's danger How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know I must be strong Last through my journey, yeah Last through my journey, yeah Time will arrive when we must decide to get off the ride And stop going through these changes We must prepare and learn how to care For soon we will be there while our lives won't be in danger The light is clear Oh, how beautiful I will be To know that I've been here And made it through my journey Yeah, and made it through my journey Yeah, 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 yeah Made it through my journey Made it through my journey Palerino A bloodline across the waters From Benin to Salvador Bahia A scar across the face of the earth Palerino, The place they brought the Africans The place where they tried to make them slaves Palerino. You can feel the whip, hear the cries, and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. And each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino was the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out from the cold gray cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces, crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death has spent many lonely nights, pacing the floors of this funeral hollow, Waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength. A place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods. Where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn. And baptized in the sound of sensual skin Turned up to dance To inspire a fire like the sun Pronouncing his presence Pellerino was the tongue of the flame Licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind Shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied No, the chains did not break the spirit Did not enslave the music of my soul Did not shackle the will of my freedom Did not tarnish the glow of my gold And all the palerinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America Cannot destroy the majesty of my people The love of my people Shining like the sun everywhere we go Everywhere we go When the light is clear Oh, how beautiful I will be To know that I've been here And made it through my journey, yeah And made it through my journey, yeah Yeah, 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 yeah Yeah, 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 yeah